0: Welcome to In The Q. I am your host, Andrew, and uh, I love David Gordon Green more and more with every film of his that I see. And I'm
1: your other host, Phil, and I'm impressed to say that Nicolas Cage still has some acting chops.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Were you afraid that he had lost them? Is that... <laughs> uh, I
1: don't know. You know, you look at his
0: his current filmography, you know, not as impressive oh, as it used to be, but, you uh, know, maybe. I could see that. I could see that. Um. If you're wondering what we're going to be talking about, the film in question is Joe, which is directed by David Gordon Green and starring Nicolas Cage and written by Mr. Gary Hawkins, who is our guest today. Yeah.
2: Hey.
0: (laughs) Hey, Gary. Um, Great to have you on the show. Uh, Before we get into the conversation... Uh, I'll just sort of cover the bases as to where you can find us online. You can go to our main web page, which is our blog. That's at www.in-the-q.com. That's, mm-hmm. that's where we post all of our, our blog postings as well as all of our podcasts. You can uh, listen to them on the page or you can download them from there. Alternately, you can go to our Facebook page, which is in the Q film conversations with Andrew and Phil. Mm -hmm. That's Q-U-E-U-E, the proper spelling of Q. Correct. And we post a lot of supplemental material there, which is uh, usually sort of uh, interesting addendum to the film itself. And, uh, and sometimes just funny non sequiturs. Funny, <laughs> Depending. weird
1: shit. Like, yeah, for, for the Gone Girl podcast, I just posted a clip of an old Burger King commercial starring Ben, <laughs> right. starring ben Affleck from 1989.
0: <laughs> right, right. Um, and finally, you can find us on iTunes at In The Q, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. You can subscribe there and download all of our podcasts and have them delivered to you every time we release a new one. about that so yeah Yeah. that's the that's the quick quick uh rundown because obviously we want to get to this conversation we are we're extremely excited to have the screenwriter here with us uh to talk about this film um uh yeah gary uh maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh sort of the genesis of of this film and kind of uh what started the process and then i'll i'll maybe give people or i guess i could give people a quick rundown of the film itself it's uh, it stars Nicolas Cage and Ty Sheridan as kind of the two uh, main characters uh-huh. in the film. Uh, Nicolas Cage plays an ex-con named Joe, the titular character. And um, he's uh, working, uh, sort of, he's, he's a, a day laborer. He, he, he manages a group of people who are... Uh, they're marking trees. They're for, marking,
1: for being to- cut
0: down, for rotting. More than more than marking them, they're killing them. Yeah, they, they are, are yeah. poisoning the trees so that they can be, so that the land can be cleared and uh, and new forests can be planted on the land. Right, right, right. Um, and and then I'm assuming that timber later to be <clears throat> harvested. And actually, uh, you know, it's, many years down the line, I,
1: I thought it was interesting too how the the initial like explanation of what they were doing was not given so fast in the film. Oh no! Because no. I mean, I for one thing, I wasn't sure what they were doing, but we did not get the explanation until deeper into the film, which I thought was nice. And I thought, in a way, it sort of sets this tone as a film that uh, that is not you know is not going to be pandering to anybody. This is a film about you know real people, real situations. Uh, Absolutely, and it was uh, it was totally in
0: keeping with the tone of the film, as I later found out. Absolutely, um, and Ty Sheridan, uh, the fine young actor who has stacked up an, a really impressive filmography in just a few yeah short pictures, <laughs> uh, he plays the role of Gary. He's a, a 15-year-old boy who is on the cusp of becoming a man and has kind of been forced into the position of taking that role within his household he kind of looks after his mother and his sister and kind of protects them from his uh ne'er-do-well father yeah uh named wade who is sort of constantly uh, inebriated and and uh takes all of his money that he earns and on and on and on yeah uh they befriend each other uh gary uh sort of begs joe for the opportunity to to work for him um and joe kind of gets a peek into the life of gary and uh and sort of befriends him and becomes his his kind of father figure yeah
1: that's true in a way a much more positive father figure that's for sure
0: indeed indeed (laughs) which wouldn't be and would be that
1: hard probably (laughs) probably
0: not being more positive than g-dog (laughs) g-dog which is yeah (laughs) wade's sort of uh the what he wears on his, his uh, jacket right, right, right. Uh, but yeah that's that's really all I want to say about it because I, I think that we're going to get more into the the film itself but it it centers on the relationship between those two characters primarily um, and then the relationship of those two characters to wade and and uh his sort of um influence on their life mm-hmm. uh, and there are a couple of additional characters who who float in and out and kind of uh influence the course of events. Right. Um, Willie, Willie Russell is kind of a (laughs) not, not nice guy who kind of always is always antagonizing people. Anyway, I will say no more about it. Uh, As I was saying before, Gary, could you tell us a little bit about the sort of the genesis of the project and and how this came
2: about? Okay. Well, first of all, can you, can you hear me?
0: Yeah. We Mm -hmm. hear you you just fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um,
2: uh, There's, there's a novel called Joe by Larry Brown. So I'm the screenwriter, but it was a novel first. And I made a show about Larry Brown, the novelist called The Rough South of Larry Brown. Mm -hmm. And Larry's, uh, he, he was a firefighter from Mississippi who at age 30 decided he would, he wondered what it would be like, in his words, to write something where nothing had existed before he just thought the whole idea of like there's nothing here and now there's a book Um, Uh he thought he would Uh try that and he tried it he tried it for eight years he wrote five novels and a hundred and some short stories finally got published um joe was his first publishable novel Uh and when i was working with larry on a bio of this guy. Um, I read the, the book and adapted the screenplay basically on spec. Um, what happened was that uh Paramount, Paramount went after the novel, mm-hmm. and Larry adapted his own, his own novel the way, um, you know, what, what's her name, Gone Girl. You know, it's, it's starting right, to yeah. happen more right, and more, right, right. yeah. Um, but it didn't work for paramount i'm not sure what the problem was but it went into turnaround went back out the door and this is something like um 10 years ago that this happened Mm -hmm. then larry brown died um and time passed um i still had that version that i wrote and i was talking to david green david gordon green he wanted to know what i had and i said well I'll send you this. But when I sent the, not, the uh, screenplay to David, it was for me to direct. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the idea behind it. And he came back and said, um, really bluntly, he said, I can get you some money to direct this. It would take a while to do it. Uh-huh. But how would you feel if I directed it? And then he said, and if I direct it, I can attract uh, the money and the people, which is true. Right. Um, I can get it done. And he said, and, and this was his promise, he said, I will make you a damned good movie. He said <laughs> and, I, and so I talked it over with some friends and uh, one friend in particular who said, you know, if, um, if you're in the pipeline somewhere, if, it began, if, the, if the blank page writer was the novelist, now deceased, Larry Brown. Mm-hmm. And you're in you're in the pipeline somewhere. She said, I think you should be willing to let go of it and let it move to the next level and do what it wants to do. And um and so I thought that was good advice. And I called David back. I said, Yeah, I'm absolutely willing to let it go. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I'm at your service. So um yeah. let's get a move, <laughs> let's get a movie made. Let's not I was not difficult in any way. It's just like I'm I'm at your service, whatever you want, just let me know. Cool. And um and so I started doing rewrites and um some of the rewrites I did uh in my car um when David called up and said we didn't get the post office. Um I need you to re- <laughs> rewrite a scene for me. And I said, just a minute, David. I'm driving. I'd pull over to the side <laughs> of the road and, and rewrite a scene, and then and then uh, email it to him, and he would direct that scene that day. Wow. Which was I thought wow. I thought that was fun, you know, kind of writing on the fly like that. That's great. And yeah, uh, yeah um, I was not an on-set writer, but I was a proxy on-set writer who um, was contained in the, the loop, more or less. Um, that nice. said, now David just did what he wanted to do, um, mm-hmm. and I knew that I'm uh, I'm also David's directing instructor from a million years ago,
1: right? And, uh, and it, we are both actual um, official dropouts of School of the Arts. Yeah, <laughs> that's official, true. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we we went there for each each went there for roughly two years, and then just
0: kind of. Floated away. That's, yeah,
2: that's a good way to say it. Phil. <laughs> yeah,
0: we got we got there. We, I think we both started the year after David Gordon Green had graduated. Okay. No, no, I think he was there. I think he was there as a fourth
1: year when we were
0: freshmen. Was he? When we were
1: freshmen, yeah. Huh. I remember actually Gary uh, having a discussion with David in the main theater when George Washington mm-hmm. came out. We watched it. Um and that that film came out I believe in 2000 so I don't know if you were there or not, Andrew. But I was not. I was gone. But anyway, so he had he had this screening and um, and I remember that was kind of like a real beacon. You know, here here is somebody from the school who's 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 on his way, who's really sort of doing it and making it. That was also my second year. That was actually your last year, Gary, if I'm not mistaken. That's that's correct. Because I remember when we did our final final projects and we had our final meetings, you announced that this was going to be your last year mm-hmm. and yeah. you said, and you said it's a big ballpark out there. So, you know, hopefully we'll all, <laughs> we'll all get to play out there. Did I say that? Yeah. You- <laughs> <laughs> oh um, yeah it's very inspiring.
2: Uh, well, uh, David, yeah, David, um, if you want to go all the way back to, to that, um, I'll tell you a couple of stories on David as a student when he was a freshman, he walked up to me and handed me a novel and said, this is the first Green Hawkins collaboration. <laughs> and uh-huh. I couldn't believe he said that. And he just walked up and just gave me the novel. Um, so he was already serious about really making movies. There was no question as to what he wanted to do. Um, yeah. We were both also big Terrence Malick fans. Right. I, um uh, I, I Malik saw one of my documentaries and um, wrote me a nice letter about it. And so I framed it and put it on my office wall. Mm-hmm. And Green heard about it. And he said, I heard you have a framed letter from Terrence Malik on your office wall. And I said, yeah, that's true. I do. <laughs> and he says, I think I got you beat. And he reaches into his wallet and pulls out Terrence Malik's picture. He had his <laughs> picture, his photograph in his wallet. <laughs> And that was at a time when no one really knew what he looked like. You know, Uh, I didn't. Right, right. Was that
1: was that before The Thin Red Line came out then in 98?
2: Yeah, it was. It was way before that. Way before.
1: So then, yeah, Malik hadn't made a film in 20 years. No, but
2: Badlands was Badlands was. I don't know how to say it it was a formative film. It's the kind of film that filmmakers know about. It doesn't really matter what the critics say about it because they don't make films. But Badlands is a filmmaker's film because what Malik did was he invented the concept of a desktop before it was a common term. He took the music, the voiceover, you know, the sati, the orf, the uh, sissy spacek, uh, kind of dead, sociopathic, Narration, uh-huh. uh, yep, the visuals, yep. all the desert visuals, all that strange stuff. Uh, Martin Sheen's answers to to her her voiceover. He he put everything on the desktop, and from there he just chose what he wanted to foreground at any given time. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that, I, the closest thing to it I thought was Jules and Jim by Truffaut. And um, I think maybe he may have borrowed some of that stuff from Truffaut. But um, Green saw that, and I saw that, and we had long passages of the film. Probably probably between us, we could go through the whole film word for word wow. and cover the entire <laughs> feature. And uh, and I noticed that about Jeff Nichols too, and, I, and then I started to see that there were two kinds of students. There were students who got Malick students who didn't get Malekin.
1: <laughs> Me and Andrew actually have some disagreements about Terrence Malick's uh, films too. We yeah, did. we sort did. of have a. I <laughs> I think we, may,
0: we may be split on Badlands. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, we're, I think we're split on Badlands, and we're also split. I I have the inverse relationship. My favorite of his films is The New World, which I think oh. is most people's yeah. least favorite of his films it's <laughs> an yeah.
2: amazing film though yeah, it's a yeah yeah that was the film it,
0: re- it really moved me more than any of his other films like it really touched me very very deeply Christopher, but... Christopher Plummer said that he would never work with Malick again
1: after oh. the new world and he said <laughs> he said that Malick needs a writer he needs somebody to <laughs> to give him some parameters
2: but yeah. well um, you
1: know he's a singular director right? it's
2: yeah.
0: yeah. And, I, and I think that it's, you know, it's, it's worth mentioning, you know, I mean, Jeff Nichols and David Gordon Green both have a very distinctive, uh, and I would say in in many regards, similar style and approach to the way that they make their, their, like, there's, a, there's a similar feel to them. And it's right in line with that Malick uh, kind of sensibility. Uh, I, think. I think
1: it may have something to do with the sort of the, uh, the phenomenon of, of being Southern. Sure. You know, being maybe, being yeah. part of that—not necessarily a rural world, but maybe partly rural, or but just sort mm-hmm. of this a, a type of kind of impression. You know,
2: cause the, the the rural is yeah, it's there and it informs everything. But um, Jeff's father was a furniture it ran a forn- furniture store, and I, I don't like yeah, think yeah. it's. Father did, but uh, they were both born in Little Rock, Arkansas.
1: That's right. And, yeah. Yeah,
2: and David grew up in Texas. So, yeah, it's something to do with that. There's no. It's kind of hard to say what Southern cinema is. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's really tough to peg that, but um, to the extent it does exist, yeah, these two guys kind of exude it, and and some of us do. Yeah, try to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. What about in Joe? I think a lot of people, when they see the movie, they're, they they want to talk about um, the man who plays Gary's father. Oh who, yeah. Who I did a lot of people may already <laughs> have done the research, but that actor uh, Gary Poulter uh, was an actual homeless man. Um, yeah. And he was as soon as I saw him on screen, I was like, oh wow, that guy's perfect. Like he is. He what what great casting. What else has this guy been in? And, <laughs> and then yeah. sadly, sadly, you know, you find out that he actually died uh, mm-hmm. tragically yeah. during before the film was released. Even did you did you know Gary Poulter or, did or talk to? him? Yeah.
2: Him? I, yeah. I went down um, a couple of times. I, I met uh, Gary Poulter. His nickname was Ozzy and I kind of knew him as Ozzy. And uh, yeah, here's the funny thing about about this guy. He wanted to be an actor his whole life and uh-huh. um, he was working as kind of a street performer, uh, break dancer, that's where all that G-Dog comes from. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. And, and that was his, sh- his shtick, basically, to, to, to beg, I guess, is what he was doing, street performer. He was traveling with a circus out in the Midwest, and he made his way to Colorado, where his sister lives. Uh-huh. He, he stole money from the circus, and so they beat him up <laughs> and, and made him give the money back and he crawled oh. to he crawled to his sister's house in in Colorado uh-huh. she took him in and she said i'll clean you up i'll fix you up i'll feed you i'll get you ready but you can't stay here i'm going to put you on a bus back to austin where you have connections and it's warmer and you, you can you can be there and so as he was coming into the bus station in austin kind of cleaned up yeah. david green was sending out uh, scouts to find different people to be in the film and so yeah. there was um, uh, a convergence this guy coming back from Colorado with David sending his scouts out um, at first they just wanted him for an extra to, maybe to be on the crew but th- then they started, started to see that he was better and better and they gave him lines and he became Wade, he became mm. the most selfish man who's ever lived um, it was <laughs> yeah. pretty amazing and and yeah you know you're right Phil as a um at the very after the uh film was cut they they released the uh, they put the film online and gave me a 4 hour window to to watch it and give my writer's notes on the rough cut and that's the night that Gary Poulter died when i oh. was um looking at the rough cut and, and giving him my notes I think what happened is he went back to a Home Depot parking lot and had some kind of stroke or collapse. And Uh I'm not sure what happened. I think he may have actually drowned in a mud puddle or something similar to that. But how strange is it for for a guy to want to be an actor his whole life? In the 11th hour, he's cast alongside an A-list actor. He he holds his own he mm-hmm. he's in there, and then he he really does and then he dies and uh, yeah. that's a, that's quite a story yeah
0: it is it is and i i i think that I really do think his performance in this film is is something to be really lauded because it's very mm-hmm. it's exceedingly naturalistic sure. i mean it doesn't it doesn't feel Artificial in any way whatsoever. It's it's really astonishing to watch him in this film.
2: The the scene, um, the one scene that um, is almost to the word was when he beats the wino to death.
1: Yeah, uh, oh, he yeah.
2: that was almost right out of the script. Uh, most of the stuff, he, he he was spontaneous. He winged it, but um, but that was oh, wow. that was word perfect. Right right through there. That's ring.
1: that's the scene that I will always think of. Mm-hmm. When I think about him in that movie, just I was thinking about it just now when you were talk when Andrew was talking about him. It. It's just, yeah, it is very naturalistic and frighteningly naturalistic, especially. Uh, but I mean, then you've got you know you got Nicolas Cage on the other hand, who uh, sometimes you know when he when he gets angry, you know you can sort of hear some some sort of Californianess in his in his voice. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but I laud him. <laughs> For, for this role because you know I mean I don't I don't mean to keep harping on the man's career but you know this is not National Treasure three Mm-mm. like this is you know, <laughs> this is this is back to some nitty gritty yeah dark stuff um yeah. comes from a real place yeah. and um so that's why why he wasn't note perfect I mean especially when compared to Gary Poulter um I actually really enjoyed watching Nicolas
0: Cage in this movie. Yeah, I, I, I really thought he was quite excellent. And, and as you say, it's kind of a harkening back to, you know, uh, the kind of leaving Las Vegas sure. or or bringing out the dead kind of era when he was really taking really very interesting risks and making, you know, really interesting films. And while he is, you know, he's he's sort of ridiculed a lot of times for his chewing of the scenery and his <laughs> kind of over the top uh, performances, um, like in some cases, I think that I think in this film, especially when he gets into the, those those moments, I mean, uh, you know, sort of managing his anger and, mm-hmm. and trying to keep it under mm-hmm. wraps is a big part of of his character in this yeah. film.
2: Yeah,
0: uh, and and watching him try and hold that back and watching him uh, manage it in what the best way that he can. The sequence there's a sequence where he he's furious and he has to go blow off steam, and the way that he blows off steam is. Typically, to go to the whorehouse and get blown, sort of, yeah, get (laughs) get blown, literally, Uh, (laughs) literally blow off steam. Uh, And and there's a a sequence of events where he has to do that, but his uh, his usual uh, uh, sort of madam, uh, you know, or lady of the evening is not there for him. And and there's this dog that that always barks at him every time he comes in the door. And so it's this sequence of just like this controlled rage that he is just keeping on the edge the entire time and he goes and then he goes back to his house he gets his dog he brings his dog back he sicks his dog on that dog then he goes with the girl that he doesn't really want to be with but he knows that he has to accomplish that you know he has to get to completion in order to sort of get back to normal like it's a great great sequence and i think he's he handles it perfectly yeah
2: you want to hear a story about about that sure you hear yeah yeah um, oh yeah <laughs> okay in the novel joe um doesn't like this dog and the dog doesn't like him. And so he gets his dog and goes over there and sits down and makes himself a bourbon and Coke and watches his dog kill the other dog. Oh, wow. And I thought that was one of the most cold-blooded things I'd ever read. And so I said, well, we got to put that in. And so I just brought it, (laughs) I brought it over and I said, okay, you're watching his face. You're, You're hearing the dogs and Joe's dog. Um, David had a problem with that. He said he's not uh-huh. doing enough. Um, I think what he really didn't like was just how cruel that was. And so yeah, I, yeah. I wrote the, uh, I wrote the, uh, the, the prostitute scene uh, for David to cover for the dog fight. And I mm-hmm. said, well, there, I'll go back and I'll make one prostitute like him. And I'll plant it like a row of radishes on page 42, yeah, yeah. 27, these eye lines, you know, these Casablanca eye lines, the redneck version. Right, right. And um, and so it really worked. I mean, it it worked so that he knew her well enough. Hey, what you doing? Let's go upstairs. And, um, <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> okay, let's keep going with this story. Uh, what, <laughs> I wrote. I didn't want to write a sex scene, so I had her getting ready for him, and he hears a yelp, and the dog's already dead. And he says, "Wow, that that happened quicker than I thought it would." And so he goes out, and his dog has killed the other dog. Um, Cage wanted to go ahead with the uh, <laughs> with the scene, as you know that 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 he had kind of written in his head, and so he kept going with it. And at the point where he, you know, blows, he he says, oh, that happened sooner than I thought it was. (laughs) He used used the same line. But then David took that line out, thankfully. And so um, it it just turned into, you know, a a sleight of hand sex scene. But um, yeah, that that whole thing with the dog. Another thing that happened with it was David couldn't quite. We had a hard time with why he didn't like that dog, and I wrote David a really long email about Joe and dogs, and I said, "You have to understand, David that it's to to Joe it's not a dog, it's an asshole and right. evidently, Cage read that email, so now, in the movie, at some point someone says, "Joe, you can't go killing dogs like it." he goes. I love dogs, but that's not a dog. That's an asshole. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so they rated my email for that line. You know, it's <laughs> it's
1: really interesting talking to you guys. We're laughing about the the, the scene where he's got a blow. We're laughing at the, the way he <laughs> calls the dog. These are all really funny things when we kind of talk about them person mm-hmm. to person. But in the movie, I mm-hmm. feel like they're so much more serious. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, they're actually – they really – they hit you harder and – I think that's that's kind of interesting to to sort of to note about that. Mm-hmm. Um and so much of the so much of the dialogue in this film reveals different nuances about each character. Mm-hmm. Um and I wanted to ask you Gary if if you th- when you were writing the screenplay did you have anything in mind as as far as who you wanted to play any of the roles or had you heard of that ahead of time?
2: Oh yeah, sure. Um well, mm, I'd rather not say who I had in mind for the the role okay but but yeah, um yeah, I'll tell you who was in my mind as Joe was my father mm-hmm. uh, my father was was Joe uh, he was, mm-hmm. and so when I read Joe, I went oh that's that's bill it's bill Hawkins <laughs> um and and it just there was no distance, and so, in a strange kind of way um all I had to do was keep a mental image of my father in mind and it totally worked for me. I just heard his voice. I saw what he did. Now here's something else that's really strange. There is a real Joe who is still alive and Larry Brown, the writer, the the novelist, Larry Brown, Mm -hmm. he is Gary Jones, the boy he's Ty Sheridan. Um, Larry Brown's father is Wade and there's a guy he worked for who's the real Joe. So, wow. um, yeah, no, I'm, I met this guy. I went down to a, a trail. I'd rather not say his name, but I went to rural Mississippi after the movie came out and met yeah. the guy that the entire movie was based on. It, you know, that's, that was a wild thing to see.
0: I'm sure it man. really
2: was. Because hey, he's 70 now, he's an old guy, but he's still tough. And still kind of mean, and you can see where Larry got all of his ideas from. In yeah. in fact, I was with uh, Larry's widow, and she said, uh, "Did you know that that uh, Nicolas Cage made a movie where he plays you?" And he goes, <laughs> "No." And he, and she goes, "Well, he did." And he he sits there a second. and He goes, "Well, how'd he do?" <laughs> 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 That's great. So
1: that would be an interesting meeting to have between those two.
2: Oh my God. Oh, yeah. yeah, it really would be. That'd it be a great
1: be. special yeah. feature. Can you put that on the D V D?
2: Well, <laughs> it would have been great. Yeah. No. Yeah, cool
0: for sure.
1: Well definitely. I think that I mean it's it's so fascinating to be able to sort of get the uh the the writer's perspective here. Um and I feel like we could really talk to you all day, Gary. Sure. Um about all this Wonder all the wonderful details and, and anecdotes about the making of this movie
0: mm-hmm. well i i have a, a quick uh well i don't know if this will be quick but i have a, a question about uh sort of the when, when the decision was finally made and and, uh, and david was was moving forward with the film as a director um i mean as i said in the opening I, like every one of his films that i see i fall a little bit more in love with him as a filmmaker mm-hmm. um, with the possible exception of Your Highness but <laughs> we did a podcast on that and uh, and I was not as big a fan of that as, as Phil I was I thought it was but... funny <laughs> but uh, regardless uh, like I I think that he is I think he's really one of the great sort of humanist mm-hmm. kind of uh, film directors out there he he really has a great amount of compassion and love for his characters and I think that that was so incredibly important mm-hmm uh uh to have in this film because the characters are flawed and and right. mean and uh and uh they have you know their issues to be sure but i don't i don't think he ever really seems to cast aspersions uh from a directorial standpoint and certainly from a writing standpoint i think that there's a great deal of compassion in this film um so when it came when when I mean obviously you have a close relationship with David. Yeah. Uh but uh I I can only imagine that you would be excited that he would uh be able to handle the the material and and I think handle it as compassionately as as possible.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I really liked what he did with it and I knew he would do something with it that was not written not it was something that it was as if the uh, the screenplay was security for these guys. It was a blueprint, and they knew they were good because the melody was there, and they could do yeah, their yeah. jazz improv off of the melody. And I fully expected him to do that because as a student, that's all he did. I mean, <laughs> right. um, he never held to anything. He, he was always, okay, got it. Now let's bounce out of here. Let's uh, do this. Let's do that. And that's the way he came with it. You know, another thing I, I, did, I noticed uh, when I first saw it was... It took me a while to figure out what I wanted the screenplay to be about because in the novel, the novel's 342 pages and it's really has a lot of themes, a lot of subthemes. Mm-hmm. Right. So, right. so my prevailing theme was Joe is an old samurai searching for a right death. That's mm. when I knew that I, I felt like, okay, what's a right death for Joe? And then you just work backwards: is everything contributing or blocking? joe's right death and um david uh saw that but he went with another theme and i don't know if i can quite say it but he focused on the character of ty sheridan Mm -hmm. he did he didn't want the boy to turn into his father he wanted the boy to turn into joe and so and uh and so that's a more hopeful theme it focuses more on the boy it was about how can you take this kid who's in such trouble, and has so much potential to be just a bad person. He has nothing but bad um, role models. How can he take this guy and and uh, and give him something that will make him a redeemable character and worth yeah. something? And so David, David adopted that more hopeful thing, and that's the way. Yeah, that's the way he is. Sure. <laughs> There's a real interesting
1: poster for this movie too. In in the U S and I've seen a couple other posters and f- from the European release and the poster for, for the U S version, it's got Joe standing kind of three quarters away from the camera. And then behind him is Gary, the Ty Sheridan character. And I feel like I understand that poster more now, Gary, listen to your, your description of, of, of what you wanted Ty Sheridan's character to, to become, because cuz Joe was there and Joe was kind of he was holding him up mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time he wasn't going to be there for the long haul mm-hmm. in in Gary's life he was there to sort of bolster him but yeah. but you know Gary has to you know make his way after that
2: mm-hmm. and okay. and that's what a a mentor is for but um you know what's what's not lost on well, I think it was lost on anybody is that for for a dis- for, for every disciple, there is a an appropriate mentor. One mentor is not going to serve many disciples, and for that boy, that was the mentor he needed. That was exactly who he needed to to get him to the next step where he would make something of himself. Um, I really liked the way Joe showed him how to do things and he basically showed him how give and take works and how you do things right it was great yeah cool
0: definitely and I think uh just as a side note to that I think Ty Sheridan did a great job uh I think I think he's <laughs> you know he was in one, uh, my favorite movie of last year well I guess 20 well my, 2013 right was mud was last year right yeah. or roughly before. roughly yeah. um yeah yeah anyway loved mud so much he was great in that he was in the tree of life the malik film of course um he's he he he's uh he's yeah. doing pretty well for himself oh yeah and i thought he was perfect in this yeah. just perfect for the role
2: mm-hmm. yeah he's great he's great he's a good guy too um i was I hung out with him a little bit in toronto and uh he's He's down to earth and he kind of sees the thing for what it is. And he's got good—he's got good parents. That's great. Yeah,
1: that's great. Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, Gary, thanks so much for
0: for being on our yeah,
2: show. Yeah, this is great. Absolutely, this great. <laughs> this
0: has been a real joy. It's been really great to to sort of pick your brain about it and hear some of the stories. Okay. Uh, about the the process. Right.
2: Well, I enjoyed seeing you, Andrew and Phil. Good. To yeah. See you. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right.
0: Likewise. All right. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Please join us for our next podcast when we will dis- be discussing the new release Kill the Messenger uh-huh. starring Jeremy Renner uh, who's been on kind of a hot streak recently. He's been doing quite well for himself. He's a great actor. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm very curious to see it and I think it'll be an interesting conversation. So please join us for that. We'll see you then.